and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. For more lessons from the ancient church at Philadelphia, please turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. We will be reminded that the Lord Jesus Christ has binding authority. We'll also see some keys to effective evangelism. Lastly, we'll get an answer to the question, what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? And now, with his message for this morning, our senior pastor, Robert Elliott. He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. Will you notice that this key is not one of many keys? It is not a key of David, it is the key of David. Jesus Christ has the king's key. Now historically, this is a quote from Isaiah 22, verses 20 to 23, and back then, a servant named Eliakim was given the key of the house of David so that he had authority back then to admit or to refuse to admit someone into the king's presence. That was historically. But then come Revelation chapter three, Jesus ascribes the same key, the key of David to himself. And this time, he says, as the king of kings and lord of lords, the resurrected savior and the glorified coming king, he says, I now have the key of David. I have the authority to decide who is admitted to my thousand year millennial kingdom and who is not admitted. That's what Jesus was saying by quoting Isaiah 22 here in Revelation 3. Jesus Christ has binding authority. He asks permission from no one to do anything he decides to do. He has binding authority. What he opens remains open. What he closes remains closed. He is authoritative. He has the key of David. Go on to verse eight. I know your deeds. Jesus knew the deeds of the ancient Philadelphian church. I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door. There's the second mentioning of an open door. In verse seven, he talks about the open door to the millennial kingdom. Here in verse eight, he says, I have an open door for your personal evangelism witness of the gospel so people will be saved by trusting me to be their savior. I have opened the door wide. You are geographically at the front door to Asia Minor on a major trade route, but more than that, I am gonna open people's hearts and you face open hearts and open doors to share the gospel. Do we believe that Jesus Christ has opened doors when it comes to evangelism? He has. We are all standing before an open door an open door to share Christ without retribution, without persecution, with freedom in America, for now at least. We have open door as a church and as individual Christians. We have an open door. And what Jesus opens, he says no one will shut. We have an open door. Now what about this church we see in verse eight? Jesus says, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power. They had a little power because they weren't large in number. That church when, in the first century, that church in Philadelphia was not big. It was not a mega church. It was a rather small church in number. Jesus alluded to that. 
You have a little power. But he says, although your numbers are small, you've kept my word. You've believed what God has told you in the Old Testament scriptures. You've believed my word. You've taken the commands of the Bible seriously. You make the word of God at the center of your being. It governs how you live, what you do and don't do, what you say and don't say, what you think and don't think. If we are going to be witnesses for Christ that goes through the open door of opportunity for the evangelism, we are going to have to be holy. Jesus said, I'm holy. We're going to have to be true. We're going to have to be unapologetic for an undiluted gospel message. And we're going to have to believe that the one who sends us into the harvest fields evangelistically has all authority to open doors and no one can close them. Going on, if we're going to be effectively evangelistic, we have to not focus on who isn't amongst us yet, but we focus on who is amongst us, the Spirit of God. We're going to have to focus on the Word of God, how it governs our lives, teaches us truth, edifies us to the service of evangelism. We need to keep the commands of Scripture as commands and not as suggestions if we're going to be effective evangelists. But there's more. Not only were they little in power, not only had they kept Christ's word, but they had not denied Christ's name. The name of Jesus, I've taught you before, represents everything he is and everything he stands for. The name of Christ is so important at the end of our prayers because we are saying, among other things, when we pray in Jesus' name, we believe that what we just prayed, Jesus would pray because it's in line with his character and his decrees and his will. That's what we mean when we say in Jesus' name after we've prayed. And so this church blessed them. They were little in number. They were true to God's word. And they did not deny Christ's name even though they faced persecution. Look at verse 9. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet. There was a synagogue of Satan in Philadelphia that took great delight in persecuting this little band of believers in Jesus. And Christ commends them that you identified with my name, you identified with everything I stand for, even though you are being persecuted by the synagogue of Satan. If we get opposition, church, to sharing Christ, and we will, we must press on and still identify with the gospel message and with the Savior of the cross. We won't shirk back. We mustn't shirk back. You know, sometimes I hear that people say that there was a problem or a block to doing the work of evangelism, so I knew that wasn't God's will to share my faith. Really? See, we're going to move off from, in verse 8 from the church, what Christ said about that old church, to what Christ said about the open door that was before that church. What Jesus said about the open door back then that was before them, the open door was to the millennium. We saw that in context in verse seven, but it was also to the work of evangelism. Jesus Christ back then said, I've opened the door that no one can shut for you to take my message that Christ has died for sinners and arisen from the dead and offers forgiveness and eternal life by grace through faith in him to the world. The doors are open. You say, but isn't opposition to the gospel a sign that we should go somewhere else where we're unopposed? No, not really. Go with me to Acts 14. I want to give you just three examples 
to the fact that evangelism opposed is not something that should make us quit. In Acts 14, verses 1 to 3, Paul and Barnabas had come to a place called Iconium. And this is what we read in Acts 14, 1 to 3. In Iconium, they, that is Paul and Barnabas, entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both of Jews and of Greeks. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. So there are people who hated Christ and his gospel who stirred up the minds of unbelievers, embittering them against the gospel witnesses and the gospel. So they just packed it in and went to a place that was more pleasant, right? No, look at there. Therefore, even though minds were stirred up against Christ and embittered against the messengers of Christ, therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance on the Lord who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that the signs and wonders be done in their hands. They have faced opposition in Iconium, a lot of it. Therefore, they stayed a long time and shared Christ. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning, this is Pastor Nicholas, and today we want to continue talking about embracing the life of a Christ follower. You know, in a Christian church and around Christians, we hear this word called discipleship. And I think sometimes when we hear the word discipleship, we think that it's talking about some elite Christians, some elite, they're, they're better than other Christians. But today we want to understand that when we consider discipleship, this is what all of us as Christians should be. We should be discipling others, and we should understand that we are not disciples of ourselves, but we are disciples of Jesus Christ. And as we have looked over the last couple, we have talked about how Jesus' disciples, they followed him. He left everything to follow him. And today we want to continue to talk about what it truly means to follow Christ and what it truly means to be a disciple of Christ. You see, we need to understand that this is not an option. This is a command from God that we are to be his disciples. We are to follow him. And today we want to t look at Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 25. And it says that, Then he said to them all, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? You see, I think so many times we, we think that when we talk about coming to Christ, we think that, oh, once I come to know Christ, I ask Him to be my Lord and Savior, then that is it. No, this is a process that we call sanctification. And here we see, as we consider this, in verse 23, it says, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself. You see, I think we need to understand that we need to kill ourselves, our flesh, because every single day we struggle with the flesh. And we also have this, that take up your cross daily. You see, we need to recognize that this is a daily process. This isn't just, I'm going to do it once and that's it. No, we have to die to ourselves daily. You know, in my own life, I can think of my, myself. I sin on a daily basis. And I have to ask God to continue to forgive me. I have to ask God to help me. I have to ask God when I wake up in the morning to not let Nicholas be seen, but let him be seen. And you see, the picture here is of a cross. You know, it's not telling you as a Christian to find a cross somewhere, some sticks, and, and carry it around. No. But this cross represents death. 
And what is it saying to us as, as believers is we need to die to ourselves daily. We need to ask God to help us. This is a process every single day. It also continues on and says, and follow me. You see, Jesus here is talking and he is saying that we need to follow him. We need to pursue him. We need to know what is it that God wants me to do. How do I follow Christ? Well, we follow Christ, first of all, we need to be in his word. We need to recognize that if we're in his word, this shows us the manual to life. This shows us how we are to live, what Christ would have us to do. And I think sometimes in our own lives, we try so many times to do it on our own, and we recognize that we always come short. We always mess up. And that's because we don't die to ourselves. We don't allow Christ to be seen in us. We don't allow his word to penetrate our lives. We don't get away from the crowd or a busy life to just spend time in God's word. You see, this is the only way we could take care of our soul. You see, as you consider as a person, as a physical person, as you think of, you know, how do I lose weight or what, how do I get fit? Well, we get fit because we exercise. We get fit by watching the things that we eat. We get fit by doing a lot of different things. Well, as a Christian, we get fit because we recognize that we die to ourselves and we let Christ shine through us and let him be seen through us. Verse 24 continues, says, Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life because of me will save it. You see, we need to recognize that this verse is saying that there's many times in our own life that we may try to save our own life, but we can't. We can't do it. But you want me to tell you why we can't do it? Because Christ already paid the price for our life. You see, the Bible says that we were bought with a price. We are bought with a price, a price that God sent his son to die for us so that we can have a relationship with him. And that is a price that we can't buy it. We cannot buy the gift of salvation, but it is already done. You see, we have to understand that none of us can save our own life. But it goes even further. But whoever loses life because of me will save it. You see, that one statement doesn't make sense to the average person because who wants to die? The reality is, is that there are many people who die every single day for the name of Jesus. There are more people dying today for Christ than ever before in history. Let me ask you a question. If you're a young person, let me ask you a question. Are you willing to die for the sake of Christ? You know, sometimes in our own schools, we're scared to, to take a stand for God and to allow God to be seen in our lives, allow God to, um, for people to know that we're Christians. But here it is, Jesus is saying that we must be willing to die for him. You know, there are many people around the world who, who risk their life every single day to go into countries where the gospel or Bible isn't even allowed. But yet too many times we allow ourselves to be afraid because of fear of what people are going to say about us just because we don't want Christ to be seen. We are ashamed of the name of Christ. And the Bible is very clear that we need not to be ashamed because we need to continue to fight for Christ. We need to continue to recognize that we are his children. We need to continue to recognize that he, Jesus Christ, came to this earth and died for us. He gave up his life for you and for me. A man who never sinned became sin for us. A man's blood, the perfect man to ever walk the face of this earth, 
died for us, paid the price, and only his blood could pay that price. So I want to challenge you this morning. If you are listening to this broadcast, whatever age you are, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you recognize this morning that, you know what? I need to follow Christ. I need to die to myself. I need to allow Christ to be seen in my life. I need to let Christ be all that I am. You see, as we continue to talk and we think about talking about a disciple, a disciple is a person that looks like the person they're following. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, this is who we're trying to become. We're trying to look at Jesus and to become more like him every single day because we recognize that this is a daily process for each and every one of us. So I would challenge you this morning, again, for those of you who say, you know what, I've been a Christian all my life. I want to I challenge you. Are you dying to yourself daily? Are you letting Christ be seen in your life? Are you letting his word penetrate? Or are you just filling yourself with a lot of garbage things of this world that, that just allow you to not to be pulled into two different directions. You see, we can be pulled into two different directions. And we will continue talking about this as we look at verse 25 in our next broadcast. This is Pastor Nicholas, and I want to thank you for listening to You Talk. Recently, Pastor Rob had the opportunity to have the youth director from the Bahamas Godparent Center, Audra Darvel, in the studio to share her personal God story. Well, good morning. I'm in the studio this morning with Audra Darvel. Good morning. Hi, how are you? Good. Audra serves as the Youth Education Director of the Bahamas Godparent Ministry. We're glad to have you here. Good to be here. Okay, thank you. I have a few questions this morning for you, sister, and uh, let's start with this one. Um, you have studied abroad at an American Christian university. I'm wondering what was one of the biggest positives of that experience? One of the biggest positives for me was that with the student leadership that they had there, they were really intentional about pouring scripture and um, just love into the students. Um, so I think that was really cool. Another thing that was a positive was that there was a community of believers that you could surround yourself with yes. and be influenced by and grow with. And so I think that was one of the biggest positives for me personally. Excellent. Another question. Um, some persons think there are no real moral pressures on a student who's studying in such a Christian thing. Would you agree with that thought? Yes and no. I would say that it's a microcosm of the world. Mm. And so the pressures that would be on a believer outside of a Christian campus is also going to be inside of a Christian campus. Yes. It's just hidden better. And so um, some of the pressures are like from other believers are to be perfect. Mm. You think that maybe I should, I can't sin. I can't be honest about my sin. I can't come to my fellow believer and share that burden because maybe they'll judge me. Yes. Um, and then you have non-believers that go there as well. And so they would pressure you to not live a Christian world view. So they will say, Hey, you should mm -hmm. come party with us or etc. So you have two ends of the spectrum with pressure. Um, that exist. That's interesting. I think that uh, we might uh, miss both ends of that fact. And so I, I'm sure we should pray for our, 
uh, Christian brothers and sisters who are young adults away at uh, Christian University, whatever that university might be. Yeah. Very good. To God's glory, Audra, would you be willing to share some parts of your particular story today? Sure. Um, so I guess I should start at the beginning. So I grew up in a Christian home. Um, I got saved around 12 um, at a church event. Um, I tried to follow the Lord as much as I could. Um, I got to college, and the first two years were awesome. Um, I grew a lot in the Lord. I started um, Bible studies, and I started leadership and all that kind of stuff. And so it was just everything was going well. Um, my junior year, I started, like, meeting people that weren't necessarily living the same way that I was. Yes. And so I thought that maybe by being friends with them, I could encourage them to know the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I put myself in a position that I shouldn't have um, at that point in life. I wasn't strong enough to handle the pressure and the temptation. Yes. And um, I started hanging out with a guy that was in that friend group. And um, we were hanging out and eventually um, he assaulted me. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it was in January of 2015, and from there, I ended up going down a really dark, dark path mm-hmm. um, because I had been living a Christian life. I had been doing all the right things, and I was like, Lord, why why me? You know, why why would you allow this to happen to me? So I just, I just <sighs> fell into a lot of negative things because I needed to be numb. I wanted to be numb from all the pain that I was feeling from that experience and so I started using alcohol and drugs just to numb that that pain yes um which eventually led to more pain but I didn't think that it would at the time right right um and I at one point I came to a point where I was like you know what this isn't worth it like I'm dying I'm just dying and I'm not doing anything for the Lord. And the Lord put on my heart that you need to you need to do better. You need to come back to me. And so I started going back to church, started getting really involved. Um, I got in with an amazing church that really took me in and loved me. Mm-hmm. And um, I still hung out with friends that weren't encouraging me in the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so I was living this in-between like, I'm going to church. I love the Lord, but I'm still hanging out with the wrong crowd. Mm-hmm. And so um, there was this there was sort of struggle. And eventually, after months of like really working on my relationship with the Lord, the temptation of those friends pushed me into a bad situation. Yes. And so I ended up going out one night and I was like, I don't really want to, but they're my friends. So I guess I'll go. And um, that was the night that I got pregnant. I got pregnant um, in October of 2015. Yes. And um, I didn't, obviously, I didn't know at the, that time that I was pregnant. But at that point, I was like, you know what, Lord, this is not what I want. I said, I need you. I need you to bring me back. But I need you to bring me back in a way that I cannot look back. That's all the time we have for today. We'll pick up from here next time, Lord willing. For more information about the Bahamas Godparent Center, you can contact them by phone at 698-4306. It's time for answers to your questions. 
we urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliot. I have a question based on Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Question is, does being justified mean just as if I'd never sinned? The Greek word, dikaiou, which means justified, means to declare righteous. It is a judicial term that means a verdict of acquittal has been pronounced. But there is more. The term does not mean just as if I'd never sinned. That would leave Christians in a state of spiritual and moral neutrality. In addition to God forgiving and removing our sin, the believing sinner has been imputed with the righteousness of Christ. See Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. An illustration may help communicate the meaning of justification. If my son in college writes a check for $200 not realizing that he has only $100 in his account, he is in debt $100. If I send him $100 to cover the overdraw, then he is debt free but penniless. But if I send him $200, then not only is his debt paid, but he has a positive balance of $100. This is something like what God has done for us. He has not only paid our sin debt, but has added Christ's righteousness to our account. We are not morally neutral. We possess the very righteousness of Christ. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684 Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.